From Editor-at-Large, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. You're probably listening to this podcast because you love the design industry. It's full of great stories, personalities, beauty, and soul. It's also changing quickly and needs to evolve or risk being diminished. Our sponsor, Fuego, is building tools to protect and preserve it. Go to fuego.com boh and enter the code boh to get a free month of their project management software and join the conversation in their Facebook group, which is titled For the Trade. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Nidhi Kapoor. Nidhi is the founder and CEO of Maiden Home, which describes itself as a new concept in custom furniture. Nidhi, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you here, and congratulations. I know you're celebrating the one-year anniversary. Yes, a couple weeks ago. That's right. A couple weeks ago. Yes. That's very exciting. I know you started working on Maiden Home sometime well before that. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into all of that. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about the path that led you to ultimately become an entrepreneur in the world of custom furniture. Where's the best place to start telling that story? Um, I suppose where I grew up. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Um, and I went to Stanford. So just a stone's throw from my home. Um, and so though I studied human biology at Stanford, it was sort of infectious, this this culture of entrepreneurship and innovation. The startup culture. Got exactly. Okay. I mean, very focused on technology, of course, but just generally innovation. Uh, it's very innovation-driven culture. Um, so I grew up there, and I spent most of my life there before moving out to New York uh, when I first graduated college. I started my career in large corporates. I was at McKinsey Consulting. I went back to work at Google in California, perhaps drawing me again back to <laughs> a little bit more of a you know growth and innovation-driven company. Right. Um, And, you know, it was through those experiences, I think, that I got a pretty solid business foundation. Um, But after my time at Google, I knew that I needed to dive into the startup world. And then I had my first experience with startups back here in New York at a company called Birchbox. So Birchbox was a um, subscription beauty company. So Mm -hmm. one of the first kind of big success stories in e-commerce out here in New York. And I was there for three years as the head of business development. And I think, um, you know, it was the opportunity to work directly for the founder and CEO, Katya, and, you know, learn from her, see her experiences, obviously support her in this journey of building this brand, which, you know, during my time there went from 30 to 300 employees, hundreds of million dollars of revenue. It was um, just a chance to be part of a real breakout success and see how that's done. Um, And so, you know, I think what I took away from Birchbox, which ultimately has informed my experience at Maiden Home, is, of course, you know, what it takes to to build a consumer brand online. So how to use digital channels to have an emotional connection with a customer who can't see you in person, doesn't walk into a store. Um, How, you know, can you find them where they are? and what kind of message is going to resonate with them? And how can you use these really effective marketing channels to basically disrupt behemoths? That, you know, the, the beauty industry, like the furniture industry, multiple billions of dollars, existing brands that are very entrenched in what they do, and here we are as an upstart making waves. And that's very much my vision for Maiden Home in the furniture space. So, um, It was, you know, this professional background in e-commerce, building a brand online, and then a really personal experience while I was at Birchbox. Got married, bought my first home in the city with my husband, and tried to decorate. 
pretty much for the first time, you know. On and, your own. Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. At that time, without the help of a designer, mm -hmm. but wanting unique, high-quality products. I think that a lot of people talk now in design, you know, the average consumer has become a lot more educated in what she wants from a design right. standpoint in her home. She's on Pinterest. She's on House. She's on, she watches HGTV, sure. whatever it may be. And so even setting out on her own without the budget to hire a designer, she feels like she should have something unique um, and high-quality. And that's where I was. As and that's a how you were feeling. Exactly. That's okay. how I was. And I didn't feel like any of the brands in the market were serving me the way that I wanted to be served. So that's why, you know, if you don't find it, build it. Right. <laughs> that's what okay. laid made me home. Well, so and, and where were you looking that you weren't satisfied with what was being offered to you? Yeah. So obviously, you know, I was in the direct-to-consumer world. Mm -hmm. And um, I went, you know, primarily to the sort of big box brands that, right. you know, that are on sort of every street corner in the U.S., some of them. Um, you know, though I just typically was, you know, shopping with these brands like, you know, Crate and Barrel, Room and Board, Restoration Hardware, mm -hmm. the big players, yep. where they have websites, you know, and they have, they're surfacing their product and they're pricing in a very transparent way online. And, you know, that versus a traditional furniture boutique where, um, you know, the prices are on the floor, but there's no transparency really around it in the sense that you can't see it on their website. Uh, all the prices are negotiable in a store like that versus fixed. In a Is that the sense consumer. that you got that yeah. prices were very sort of fungible? Yeah. Definitely in more of the traditional boutiques, that's mm -hmm. what I found. You know, we were negotiating on price. It sort of felt like I didn't know what a fair price really was. I wasn't savvy enough as a consumer to really right. know that I was getting a good deal. At least when I worked, when I, you know, uh, shopped at a direct to consumer brand, the price was what it was, and maybe it was on sale, but I knew what I was paying. Um, but anyway, so I, I was at those, you know, same stores that pretty much any consumer would end up finding. And, and I think the pain points that I really faced were, um, A, not feeling like any of the product that was presented to me was particularly unique. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't feel like any of, you know, the styles or silhouettes were anything um, that, you know, I hadn't seen in everyone else's living room. And then specifically trying to customize that to fit my space, whether it be the size or the material, came up with a lot of pain points. So whether it be upcharges, not being able to return it, extended lead times, like right. it just felt too risky. So okay. I could understand why everybody was defaulting to, you know, sort of the in-stock standards pieces. Um, didn't really feel like there was a way for me as a consumer to access that uniqueness. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think that's that's ultimately the experience I drew from. At the same time, I was having this professional experience at Birchbox, inspired by an amazing founder that I worked for and, um, you know, kind of took those two to, together to inform Maiden Home. Even though prior to that, really, you wouldn't have seen yourself as an entrepreneur. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think there's different types of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Certainly, you have entrepreneurs that, you know, at the age of five are in their garage, like tinkering on something or yeah. selling something. And I think I definitely had a little bit more of a, a you know, I de-risked my path a little bit more. Right. Um, but I think that, like I say, you know, I was surrounded by this innovation culture. My dad is actually an entrepreneur. So oh, it's okay. not a surprise that I ended up doing what I'm doing. Um, oh, I think I okay. sought it out in my own way. In your you know? own way. I, I think the, the part of me that, you know, potentially is less... Um, in the past, comfortable with risk, kind of walked myself to it in a more, um, in a stepwise manner, where let me work for a startup, let me right. learn how it's done, right. and then I'll feel really informed to do it on my own, other than jumping right in. But Because originally a degree in biology was going in a very different direction, I assume, 
were you were you thinking of a of a completely different career path at that yeah, time? Yeah, I was I mean, considering a career in medicine at that okay. time. That feels like a lifetime ago, right. <laughs> you know, over ten years ago. Right. I was definitely considering that, but um, again, it, you know, I'm, certainly there's so much innovation happening in that field. But I was a little more attracted to the pace of change in business, mm. you know, okay. and it just fits my personality a little bit more. And um, you know, I think it was really that I'm, I'm kind of impatient. And, you know, I like working in fields that every day you can change and have an impact. I found that in business rather than medicine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you were so you were keen to go out on your own after some time at Birchbox. So how long were you at Birchbox? For Three years. Three years. Uh-huh. Okay. And did you did you know that you wanted to go and start your own company? And is that when you left, was that the intention? At yes, the time? definitely. I think about a year into my experience at Birchbox, I knew that I wanted to do this on my own okay. at some point. Um, I wanted it to be, you know, in a category that I was passionate about. I wanted to solve a pain point that I had personally felt. And so I started searching for those pain points. You know, I think okay. that that was a very sort of organic, that was a driving force between when Katya and Haley, the two founders of Birchbox, started that company. And you could hear, as they talk about the company, they really identified with the customer and this problem that they were trying to solve. And that is the, the recipe to a successful sort of like mission-driven company, I think. Right. So I was searching for something like that on my yes. own. Ultimately okay. found it in home. And um, so then, yes, when I left Birchbox, it was very much, you know, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to see, you know, what I want to build in this space. I'm going to go after this problem and this pain point. So I'm going to learn about the furniture industry and I'm going to make it a lot easier to buy a custom sofa sometime in the future. Yes, absolutely. Yes? I mean, it started much more broadly. You know, okay. how can I make the exper- the, the, ac- the ex- access point to unique high quality furniture easier right. for a regular consumer. You know, how can I give access to unique products? How can I increase the quality for the price? I mean, there were so many different aspects to what I was trying to solve and it started out much more broad. Um, ultimately, what I realized was that I wanted to build a direct to consumer, a vertical brand in the sense that I wanted to make and own my own products mm. because I felt like this is if quality was very important and unique was very important I had to create new products you know because right. I certainly looked at you know the wave one of home e-commerce whether it be a One Kings Lane or a Wayfair these companies who had started selling furniture online but more of the marketplace model mm-hmm. that wasn't solving my problem and my okay. need because I felt like you know I wanted to buy from a brand that stood behind the quality of their product that could tell me everything about how this product was made and why it was made and that it's truly unique for my needs. And it felt like in order to really authentically tell that story, you have to be, that product has to be yours as a brand rather than selling third-party brands. So right. okay. um, that kind of led me to the initial parts of the model, which is I wanted to make my own products under Made in Home. Yes, okay. So you set off to find out what it would mean or where to even begin to actually make your own product, right? Because you had no background in furniture or anything in this in this space at all, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Coming to it in a very kind of pure organic way, just, you know, consumer feeling a pain point. Right. And, um, you know, when I realized that, okay, I wanted to become a product company, I wanted mm-hmm. to have my own products, I wanted to start from the top and say, you know, where's the best furniture made? Let me learn from them. You know, I think even at the beginning, and and, you know, obviously that's what led me to North Carolina. Right. And High Point being my first kind of like touching down and learning about folks in the space. And so, you know, just a little bit of research online led me to understand that, you know, specifically for for furniture, specifically custom upholstery, the best in the world has always been made in North Carolina. And that, you know, obviously in the design space is very broadly known, not so much on the consumer side. Sure. 
So I, you know, at the very beginning, it was like, let me learn what's going on down there. Um, let me learn, you know, from the very best in the industry, how great products are made. Um, you know, wasn't dead set going in on manufacturing them domestically, but, you know, ultimately through the experience, felt like that was how I could deliver the best quality and experience for my customers. So I ended up there. And so you ended up there. So how did you even set up your first meeting down in, in High Point? Yes. Yeah, so um, I timed it to High Point Market, which okay. was in April, um, right. which happens twice a year, of course, in the April market. Um, I, you know, obviously there's a listing of all the upholstery manufacturers that are showing at market and, and um, exhibitor listing. And yes. I just, you know, basically cold called every single one of them. I cast a really wide net. Okay. Yes. Um, email, just picked up the phone and called, had like 20 seconds of their attention to just <laughs> explain enough to get a meeting with them. And right. that was my goal because, um, I mean, so much of business, especially in this industry, is done face-to-face. And yeah. I just, like, if I could just get in front of them down there. Um, and what were you and, telling them you yes, were trying to do? Exactly. Because I think by the time I was picking up the phone, I actually had a sense of what I was going to pitch. Okay. So one of the things that um, I started doing some research before going down to High Point to understand what was going on in North Carolina, both, you know, what are these products that they're making, but also what's happening to the business and the industry. And um, that's what I came upon an interesting insight, which is, you know, the way that furniture has always been manufactured and distributed through the High Point model is, you know, you have a manufacturer that has their own brand. They will show at High Point twice a year. I mean, they put out a ton of new product and they do a beautiful job with these showrooms. Just incredible presentation. They sell into deals who then sell to local customers and that's right. always been the chain and now and then thinking back oh yes this is how my parents bought furniture we walked in to the local furniture store there were an assortment of brands there mm-hmm. that we didn't know but the salesperson would tell us okay this is Thomasville made in North Carolina and this is what you need to know right. and that's how we navigated those purchases um, so that's still how actually the majority of furniture is distributed. But it was so interesting because I thought, well, I just went through the whole experience of buying furniture. I didn't even know this existed, you know, and that's 80% of the market. I'm in the 20% where I buy from direct consumer brands. But there's a lot of data out there to show, okay, how are sales shifting between these two channels every single year? And sure enough, you see every year share shifting between traditional distribution to dealers into direct-to-consumer. So you see direct-to-consumer taking a bigger share of the market right. every year. Right. Obviously, high point in the activity down there is incredibly robust still, but industry trends are moving sort of against that that model. So I sort of had that insight and I thought, huh, if I'm this one of these manufacturers, what am I doing about this? Obviously, you know, if you're a forward-thinking person of business, you're trying to get ahead of these industry trends. Sure. What can I do about this? And I thought, there's not much that they can do because they have relationships with dealers. They can't alienate them by going direct to consumer themselves. Right. Also, if I'm a manufacturer, I make great furniture. I don't know how to build a brand direct to consumer and everything that goes with that. Am I really well positioned to do it? I'm sort of caught um, where I see the industry moving against me, but I don't have sort of a, a, a bridge to the a different model or, or the future, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the insight that I had going in. So I just thought if I could call them up and pitch them on a partnership, and I'll call it a partnership, right. where I do what I do best, which is build a brand here in New York directly to consumers, um, design, you know, obviously marketing, messaging will happen from Maiden Home, 
And then they do the, what they do best, which is make beautiful furniture. So we bring them styles, the silhouettes, the designs, the materials, and they put it together, obviously uh, leveraging all the amazing craftsmanship that comes out of their factories. This way, you know, they can continue to do what they do, which mm-hmm. is the show at High Point and their dealer business. But on a white label basis, which is that their brands are not part of the equation, they do business with Maiden Home. Right. So, and was that part of the understanding was that they wouldn't sort of be revealed as to who they were? Okay. So in order for this to work, this has to be a a white label program and and they're making something sort of privately for you. Exactly. That's how they avoid the channel conflict Mm -hmm. and their dealer partners, you know, obviously feeling that they're being disintermediated. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that's... And so I you think, presented this to them. Exactly. Yeah, so a, a mini soundbite of that pitch on the phone and then... <laughs> a partnership. That's the only part yes. I want them to hear. A partnership. Just enough to, to get in yes. person. And then I was at High Point and I had probably over 20 meetings with different manufacturers of sort of like all ends of the price spectrum, a different type of specialties. And I learned obviously so much through that, but I was pitching yeah. primarily. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that universally, it was it was. I would say on the on the whole, it was very well received. I think that, you know, when I explain like, okay, you know, this is what I've been researching. This is what I understand in terms of what you're facing mm-hmm. in your business. A lot of the times, I would see the eyes light up on the other side of the table because this is, you know, a lot of them would say, "This is what we think about every day." You know, this is so they saw that you understood their struggle exactly, okay. exactly in a way that you know certainly people had approached them mm-hmm. about online models and things like that before, but they really would say that nobody has understood our business as deeply as you know you have coming to us, and I think that's what built a lot of the initial groundwork of trust between us because I really wanted them to understand from the beginning that I wasn't just trying to like build a business and they were going to be my contract manufacturers. Right. I really wanted to build something that would benefit both of us over the long term, and there was a strategic reason for them to do this other than just selling more sofas you know um and i think that that foundation was very well laid in those first conversations and that's why you know by and large it was very well received it was well received and they said come and come and see our our factories and and come and see what we do exactly yeah i mean certainly some of them you know it didn't make sense off the bat just in terms of you know we i was very clear on what segment of the market i wanted to serve not the high high end because i felt like that customer was very well served you know, by interior designers and the and the trade and the trade trade mm-hmm. brand trade only brands. You mm-hmm. know everything that you've seen in the D and D building, gorgeous product. I mean, right. and and tons of assortment. You can get unique and quality there, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was really this sort of middle market customer. Frankly, exactly where we are: two thousand dollars sofas. Um, you know, wanting quality for the price and good right. value. Right. And so, you know, certainly it was about finding people that wanted to talk to that customer as well. And then, you know, there's a lot of things that we wanted to do um, in terms of our business model, in terms of our lead times, you know, shipping all of our custom product in three to four weeks. Not everybody can do that. There were other reasons why people sort of like dropped out of the fold. Um, The vetting process, yes, also involved me visiting all of the factories and touring the the factories. And a lot of them, you know, just weren't up to our quality standards um, in terms of, you know, the attention to detail, obviously right. the craftsmanship, people actually making the sofas, the materials that they used. There were some reasons why, you know, some of them weren't a good fit. And was anybody helping you at this point as you went and toured furniture factories? Was anybody sort of advising you on what to look for or how to how to recognize what the what the quality standards would would look like? I mean, how did you know even how to 
identify this? Yeah, I mean, no, the answer is no. Nobody <laughs> no, was advising me. I was me. doing it all myself. Yes, of course. Nobody was advising I me. I knew obviously. corner blocking. <laughs> I could see it from a mile away. But, you know, that was one of the benefits of very early on. It was um, I was set on not just having one partner or one manufacturer because I thought that as somebody going in just not knowing much about the industry or right. how furniture is made, you know, that I would be someone that would, it would be very easy to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if you knew that you were the only sort of fish in the pond, but I think always knowing that we had a network of manufacturers. So I would learn something from one that I would apply to the other. And I, you know, I turned towards some very high end factories. I kind of just saw the very, very best. Right. And I held myself to that standard at okay. the beginning. Um, so I think that, yeah, there was, there was no, you know, advisory at the end of the day. I found generally as the point of starting a company is that nobody really knows your business and what you're trying to do better than what, than you do. Mm-hmm. I certainly have advisors, but you know, ultimately like you need to make the best decisions for your customer and what you want to offer. So, so you really learned by going through the process and, yes. and I have taken a lot of factory tours myself and I know that they all sort of pride themselves on pointing out what makes them special and, and unique. Yes. yes so I'm, absolutely. I'm assuming you had a similar experience. And, yes. Yes, definitely. Right. And okay. I think that as you get more experience, you tour more factories, you can kind of parse out like what's yes. real and what's not. Yes. You know? Okay. And so 20 some odd factories and you, you ended up on, on three. Yes? yes. Yes. Okay. And, and sort of how did you go forward from there? Um, yeah, so then we started developing the product. Okay. So all of our designs and the products are um, unique to us. So, you know, we had the option at the beginning of working with the, the sort of silhouettes and designs mm-hmm. these manufacturers already made. They were open to that. But one of the other sort of value points that we do is bring modern design to manufacturers that traditionally would make very traditional furniture. Um, so, you know, we are silhouettes. We created ourselves. There's a very specific look that we wanted to offer in the market, which is this modern transitional, okay. you know, that I felt like, you know, clean lines, classic details, a little bit of like that rich detailing, but mm-hmm. in a very modern way. And like, it just seems very simple, like just timeless transitional design. It's actually hard to find yeah. at our price point, you know, because um, that part of the market has gone very modern and mid-century. Those were things that didn't appeal to me personally. Mm-hmm. So I I wanted to create it. And the other end of the spectrum, you know, when you see what these manufacturers do in their core business, it's very traditional. And, you know, I, I think that I wanted to find a middle ground. So we brought them our designs. I worked that at that point in the process, I brought in furniture designers okay. to help us, um, you know, to concept, to draw the products, the CADs, the technical details. Obviously, it's very technical developing furniture. Sure. And um, brought that to these manufacturers. And then the development process started. It was very, very long. You know, <laughs> the point from, you know, pitching the manufacturers to agreeing to work together was relatively short, a matter right. of months, but then over a year to develop our launch collection. And so tell us what went into that. Tell us what took a year in the development process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was because we just kept going deeper and deeper in the development of this product. And by that, what I mean is, um, so, you know, we would have a sofa and we would know this is generally what it wants, what we want it to look like from the outside, right? That's what the CAD will tell you. Right. Um, the proportions, the dimensions, the pitch and things like that. Um, but then came decision time about what do we want? For example, what do we want these cushions? 
what do we, what kind of cushioning do we want and every step or what kind of frames do we want you know what type of materials you want to use inside the sofas what type of spring construction do you want on this sofa and you know each of those decision points oftentimes we wouldn't find what we were looking for in kind of the standard menu of options so we'd have to go deeper and develop our own so a specific example is on the cushions which mm-hmm. is one of the most important and costly elements of sure. a sofa it directly informs the comfort what it looks like over time you know we had a ton of options to choose from, probably over 20 formulations of cushions that we tested in different ways in North Carolina, here in New York, and actually none of them were right for what we wanted. We were looking for this perfect mix of, you know, sink and comfort, resiliency. We just, it was very clear to me that I didn't want sofas that my customers would have to fluff or they looked nine years old in 90 days. Okay. Um, So so somehow low maintenance, but still very comfortable and okay. Exactly. Exactly. So we actually had to develop our own cushion. And so that added probably four months to the yes. process, right? Okay. But it was really important because, sure. you know, not only do we have something distinctive to made in home at that point, but it solves all of the pain points that I personally felt as a consumer right. looking for sofas. And I always went back to draw from that. So it was really about, you know, along the way, we weren't really choosing anything off the shelf. Truly every inch of these sofas has been thought about and designed from scratch. A lot of testing, of course, you know, we would prototype a product. A lot of times we'd ship it up here to New York. We would, I would live with it every single day we would put it through the ringer and how does this product hold up after three four months what does it look like how's it feeling um we made uh, adjustments after you know things like that um fabrics we sourced them directly from the mills which took a different part of the process um and so what we are doing throughout this is not only getting the quality and the performance that we wanted we were also taking a ton of cost out of the equation so by developing our own cushions buying them directly buying our fabrics directly we were you know sourcing our own raw materials which decreases the cost on the actual product right so at the end of the day better quality for the price for the customer um so it was a very painstaking process but it sounds like yeah absolutely but that's you know that's how we say right now you know we offer a six thousand dollar sofa for two thousand dollars that's how we do it yeah you know all of the costs we've taken out of the actual along the way and you're able to ship it for free and you're, i mean you found all of these other ways to to really offer a great price and, and a level of service. Yes. Um, and as you and I sort of spoke about briefly uh, before, it sounds like it's not just I go online and I order the sofa. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of service that you provide as well. Yes, absolutely. We're trying to make the experience seamless for our customers as well. Product better and a more seamless experience. So, um, you know, obviously trying the materials in your own home with swatching mm-hmm. fabrics and leathers, it's a critical part of our experience. And then, you know, where they are for the customer in, you know, we have all of the information about how the fabrics will wear over time. We offer a lot of different types of performance fabrics, how to compare and contrast the different technologies. A lot of times that's what people want to know is like, what is, how is this going to feel three months? down the road right. and we are like the product gurus and we kind of help with that and you can speak from experience having tested these these pieces exactly so when did you finally know that that you were ready when when did you when did you get was there a sofa that came that you lived with for a while that was just perfect and you said yes now we can move forward because this was a couple of years yes of, yes, of experimenting I think it was about a year and a half okay. to develop the collection right um, I'm trying to think if there was you know a turning point to be honest but there are eight there are eight products that you're developing at right. the same time okay. four sofas four chairs and so you know it was a painstaking process but they all kind of got there on the same timeline um, you know I took them to a certain point and then I would start testing them I'll 
also with friends and family, mm-hmm. my friends that were interior designers that have been worked in the industry for a long time. And, you know, I would have them come over and try the product and objectively tell me what they thought. And, you know, I think that we a couple of the designers that came over and and they had their little hacks and designer tests like for example are the cushions upholstered all the way around or Mm. are there tie downs that secure the cushions to the frame like little hallmarks of high-end furniture that as a consumer you wouldn't know to look for and they found them in our product and you know they would step back and say this is a really high quality sofa and i knew that but it was like you know does it pass the test of someone who is a true expert in the trade sure and Um, how rewarding to to hear that of course yeah Yeah. and you know in addition to the the fact that they thought they were ridiculously comfortable so, <laughs> so they did important. so they loved that part so yes. the, the cushions you absolutely got yes right. the cushions yes exactly okay. the cushions are they're still winners we haven't changed them since we launched that's, hundreds of sofas later that's fantastic <laughs> yes. because that's often the most difficult part exactly of, of finding the right sofa for people yes is is their comfort with cushions and and often one member of the couple feels one way and the other feels differently. So. Yes, yes. We test them with so many different types of people, so we know 99% of people are going to love these cushions. That's great. Yeah. And so what's what's in the cushions? Are they are they down and feather? Or are they foam? Are they a blend, it sounds yes. like? Yes, so each one has the cushion that's fit for So three of the four use um, a down alternative fiber. Now, there's a lot of fibers out there that perform like down in terms right. of the sink-in feel, but a lot of people are allergic to down. Mm-hmm. Another reason not to use it in addition to maintenance. Yep. So we use like very high... Ultra, high resili- resiliency ultra cell cores, microfiber wraps on three of our four sofas. And one of our sofas that's intended to be the most casual kind of sink in style is the down and feather. Okay. But this perfect mix of some fiber with the down and feather so it's not going to crater underneath you. Right. Which again, we've tested yes. for over months of use. Um, that one, the Sullivan sofa, has since become our bestseller, actually. So people just love that. So people love that. They love people sinking love in. And, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, so then finally you knew you were ready. Four sofa frames, you said, and and four chairs. Yes. And and that's what you were ready to go to market with. Yes, absolutely. And along the way... Were you funding this all yourself? Was, was were you seeking investors at the time? Yes. So we um, we raised money um, at the very beginning, actually, of the development process. To be honest, it was quite early on. Okay. Um, from angels, so people that I knew personally through my network. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with them. So you know, the founder of Birchbox, like I mentioned, um, some of my managers and mentors earlier in my career from Google and McKinsey were one of the first to come on board. At that point, obviously, investing in my idea and me um, not having the product you know that or any sort of sales data or any kind of um, demonstrated success right right? it was an idea and a pitch and so they were the first to come on board but then you know we started broadening the network and and you know I knew that I had advisors that were that were skilled in e-commerce we then started to bring on investors that were actually public market investors so Mm -hmm. they invest in the stock market in specifically the big retail brands the furniture brands that are publicly traded so restoration hardware williams sonoma home so these are investors that understand this space intimately in the public market side so they can understand when i'm talking about the disruption that maiden home brings to the market how uh how that fits in the context of the overall industry they're they're sort of 
industry mm-hmm. experts in that way. But this was still at, at an angel stage. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they invested personally, personally? outside okay. of, you know, professionally, right. they are investors, but they invested personally in Maiden Home. Um, but they brought a different perspective mm-hmm. then to the business. Um, so we we're able to get like a very good mix of individuals. And, you know, the money that we needed was not, the number wasn't huge because we don't take inventory any of this product. The business does fund itself because, you know, we, um, the customer pays us up front and then we pay the, the suppliers later after the product ships. And so, you know, the cash flow dynamics are really attractive you as have well. That float. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the only round of money that we've actually raised, you know. And what happened is, you know, we used that capital to to develop a product, to build the brand, and then we launched. And, you know, day one, we launched, month one, we were profitable. Um, we have a very low overhead model, intentionally okay. so, because we tell our customer, like, we don't think you should pay for a huge team over here or a showroom or inventory. Right. We're just going to put every dollar you'll give us into the quality of the product and so we do that um so we're very lean you know so how lean are you i mean how many people do you have working here in new york you're in new york yes yes we're only three of us really um, and we never touch the product um we have a you know massive network obviously of not only the manufacturers but then our distributors so this the shipping providers that can deliver our product from north carolina to any zip zip code in the country okay um and so there are a lot of people that are working on Maiden Home, and I sure. want to give credit behind the scenes that <laughs> okay. are responsible for our experience. But um, you know, we don't have warehouses full of inventory. We have you know a very lean team here, and that's plenty to serve our customers and give them the experience that they need. So it's all custom. It's all made to order. Exactly. And was that challenging for these factories? So often when you're a small business, you you can't control a big chunk of a factory's production, right? So yes, when at you, the beginning. Right, mm-hmm. in the beginning. Yes. So how did you sort of convince these factories to let you make a custom furniture yep. with them sort of one at a time. Right. So, you know, these are custom workrooms. So everything that they do is custom. So when you, even you go today, you know, every piece coming down the line looks different and right. coming from the factory. So that part of it wasn't different for them. But, you know, I guess the question is like, why did we get the sort of special treatment and terms that, you know, they invested a lot in developing the yeah. product for us. Um, you know, they ship all our product in three to four weeks and they don't make those promises to their other customers. Um, the pricing that we have is also different, you know, because, and it, that was for a very specific reason, you know, they don't have any sales and marketing costs associated with our product. They don't mm-hmm. show our product at high point, you know, right. we do all of that. And so, you know, the reason we were able to sort of get this special treatment, despite not, you know, pro- making any promises about volume is really because of what it go- what the original sort of premise of the partnership, which is this is a strategic partnership. This is sort of like an investment that you're making in the future of your business through Maiden Home. And so they sort of overweight the, the effort and um, time that they allocated to us. Right. Okay. And were they already working at the speed that you were looking for? Or was that also a big adjustment? No, them? they weren't. They weren't shipping in three to four weeks. And they don't okay. do that, and typically. <laughs> they, yes. don't, they don't want to tell anyone else that they're doing that. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think the thing is, like, you know, this was a lot of, like, supply chain engineering that we help them with. Mm-hmm. So we source our own cushions. We source our own fabrics. We make sure they're always there for them. And we take on a lot of those sourcing right. burdens. And okay. those are the things that can make a sofa take eight weeks to ship or 12 sure. weeks sometimes. Okay. So that made things there. easier for them. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so we really got into it with them, and that helped us obviously on the cost, but also timeline side um, in terms of you know being part of their production process. So they welcomed you bringing in some of your own materials because that helped to sort of move the process 
along. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I think, but I always would bring it back to why we're doing this, you know, that we, this is something that I'm looking for. And I think at the beginning, obviously they would, you know, sometimes roll their eyes and be like, oh God, she's still not happy. <laughs> but I think towards the end of the process, and now that we've been able to show so much success, they've seen the fruits of the labor to say like, wow, she is the truly a perfectionist when it comes to her product, but that's what makes it successful at the end of the day. Right. So, you know, now we're developing our next collection and they're like, all right, here we go again. Oh boy, you know? here, here she comes. But at least, you know, we have a good baseline understanding that this is how we do things. Right. And you've been able to demonstrate some some success. I'm going to take a quick break so that we can pause for a word from our sponsor. But we'll be right back. To stand out in this crowded industry, you need more than a love of design. You need strategy, sales, marketing, and other things they don't teach you in design school. This episode is brought to you by Fuego, whose mission is to empower the design trade. Fuego believes that business and art can and must coexist, and they've built a platform to make that happen. Learn more at Fuego.com or join the conversation in their Facebook group, which is titled For the Trade. And now, back to the show. So you're just about to start developing new product, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. So we're developing our next collection. we're doing, uh, you know, within our core products, sofas and chairs, we're adding some more styles, um, sort of just rounding out the assortment. Um, I think that, you know, we're looking towards the rest of 2018 and what other products we could be introducing. I think, you know, one of the things is a large mix of our business is interior designers, and it's from them mostly that we hear the other opportunities to expand our brand. So so let's, let's stop there for a second yeah. because I do want to touch on that. Your original model was going to be consumer-facing brand, yes? Yes. And at at what point did you discover that interior designers wanted to get involved, that designers were reaching out to you saying, hey, I want custom furniture in three or four weeks? I mean, I think I saw, yes, you're right. Like, I think that I obviously came to this as a consumer. I was thinking about other consumers. Still, when I paint the picture in my head of who we're serving, it's a customer very much like me. But, you know, it was even through the development process, like I mentioned, I have a lot of friends that are designers or people that I would meet through this research process. And I would sort of pitch them. And I realized, like, this makes sense for them as well. You know, I think there are designers that are shopping at all price points. Of course, you know, there's $20,000 sofas. But if you're a designer trying to spec a $3,000 sofa, which there are plenty of, uh, what are your options? You know, obviously, you as a designer want to bring your client a high quality product that, you know, that you can stand behind personally. And, you know, bring uniqueness in design. Create an aesthetic in that person's home that reflects your personal brand. Yeah. That's what designers do. Sure. So, you know, those designers, just like we as consumers, are unhappy with sort of standard fare options. You can understand why. You can understand why custom makes a lot of sense for them. I think then being able to tell their client that this is an American-made product in North Carolina, things like eight-way hand-tied springs, there's lifetime warranties on this product, and you can get it in six weeks or less and it fits our budget, I mean, they just come out looking like heroes. Sure. You know? So then I sort of realized, like, this is really resonating with designers who are trying to serve ultimately the same customer. At the end, client, it looks the same. Right. So whether she's buying directly from us or through a designer, um, you know, we're trying to serve her and her needs. Um, so it was really early on that it would resonate with designers. And then when we launched, you know, about a year ago, um, the trade press was very interested in our story. So we had a great piece in editor at large, right. um, in addition to a lot of other design publications. And I think that there was a lot of interest in um, the business model, everything I've just described about how we're tapping into High Point and everything that's happening in North Carolina, but just bringing it 
the consumer in a different way. Um, and, you know, I think that we then built a lot of awareness in the design community. So, yes, early on our business, you know, the mix, almost half of it was through just trade and interior designers. Interesting. Almost half of it. Okay. Yes. Um, they tend to be, I think, realizing that they're early adopters. You know, I think mm-hmm. that it's um, for us to say, you know, this is an American made product and these are the specifications and we have Krypton home fabrics and it's $2,000. You're a designer. The math like adds up right away. We're like, oh, that's incredible sure. value. They get it. Yes, they get There's less of means. an education that's required. Consumer, you have to walk them along that journey mm-hmm. a little bit more. But I think in retrospect, that's why it perhaps wasn't as that much of a surprise that designers kind of got it right away and started embracing our brand. And did they ask you for any special kind of pricing or additional services that you weren't originally planning to provide? Yes, certainly. I think on the services side, you know, I think the designers would ask us for, you know, COM and or custom sizing. At that time, we weren't offering sectionals or as many sizes or Mm -hmm. assortment was more limited. And so we kind of were able to grow our assortment to serve their needs a little bit more. Um, So, you know, now we offer COM on all of our products. So you do offer COM on all of products. Exactly. Yes, which at our price point is usually not something that's to be found. Um, And so that's a big win for us Mm. among uh, interior designers. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it was really like, you know, the customization and uh, and rounding out what we offer for the trade. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, I think that, like like I say, that, you know, when they come to Maiden Home, they're often doing whole homes. Mm-hmm. So they kind of see other opportunities in other parts of the home and other rooms of the home. And they feel like they have this relationship with us because they discovered us as a brand early on. And, you know, we have this channel of feedback from them constantly where, you know, we hear upholstered beds is a huge opportunity. Like, please do upholstered yes. beds or yes. ottomans or benches, you know, so we hear and we can kind of craft our product roadmap okay. um, with this channel of feedback we get from design. Designers. That's fantastic. So we do that a lot. So that has influenced your the collection that you're developing right now. Yes. You're, an upholstered bed in the mix yet, or, or too soon? Well, we're looking over the next year, and okay. so definitely we'll be in some new categories okay. over the next year. Um, I think the the first step for us will be a few more products in our core assortment of sofas and chairs. You know, we still the sofa is still our hero product. We're right. truly still a better way to buy a sofa, mm-hmm. and we're building a brand around that concept. And so, you know, there's more that we can do to even flesh out that opportunity. And so that's the near term focus for us. But um, you know, long term, I mean, this is a brand that will be more than just a better sofa. This will be the best quality products for your home at the best possible price so that could apply to any product it doesn't even have to be furniture it could be soft goods you know really when we think about our roadmap we're going to be looking for opportunities where we can like oh where can we do six six thousand for two thousand you know that kind of value right where can we do that kind of disruption and you know take a ton of cost to provide the best possible price um those are the opportunities that we're going to seek and and you've always stayed away from having any kind of bricks and mortar operation. That's part of how you're saving money. Is that still where your where your thinking is? I mean, I know you've you've partnered with some companies in the in the past to show yes. your product. Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, eliminating the retail expense on our books is a core part of this value story, right? How we can do $6,000 sofas for 2000. Right. It's because one big aspect is that we don't have 
our own brick and mortar stores. We don't think our customers should pay for that because we can think of a smarter way to allow them to try the product in their local neighborhood or wherever they live. And yes, so that's through partnering with other uh, retailers. So one of the things we've done is, you know, retailers in other categories like apparel, for mm-hmm. example, that are setting up beautiful stores and boutiques and other, you know, cities where our customers live as well. Those stores need furniture. They would like it to be beautiful and high quality, of course, consistent right. with their brand. So, you know, we will provide the furniture, sell at a discount, however we work it out. And then those kind of end up being sort of offline you know, homes for a maiden home. And so Mm -hmm. if we have a customer in Boston or DC, she can go into this apparel store and try the product or see the quality in person. And oftentimes that's what our customer is looking for. I think that she's trying to do 90% of it online, but you know, if she wants to just make sure of the quality or just see it for her own, with her own eyes, um, we can offer her that in a way that doesn't cost us money or require us to put that into our pricing. Sofas have always been one of those categories where people never believed people would buy them online, right? Has changed so much. Has changed yes. so much. Right. Yes. So the data, I think that they, they track and they pull every single year. And every year you see the percent of people who are comfortable buying online going up. So certainly the trends are in our favor. Yeah. So it might be helpful to have a place for them to go and see it. But clearly it's no longer the necessity that we thought it would be just a few years back. Absolutely. And the other interesting thing that we're seeing is like now that, you know, we have good sort of general traction in the market and our sofas in, you know, every state in the U.S. Right. We are seeing things spread virally and through word of mouth. So, you know, people coming to us and saying, like, you know, I tried my so this maiden home sofa at my neighbor's home. She's obsessed with it. Now I want one too. You know, and, and that actually is happening a lot where people are trying the product in other people's homes that they know. Luckily, you know, we're selling a product that's in a common space. So you're probably yeah. sitting on your friend's sofa when you visit her home. Right. And I think that our customers are so just delighted with their experience and they feel like they have a they found a discovery in maiden home. It's sort yeah. of like they found something new and they've been happy with their experience but they're just like can't help but share so um, that kind of referral and word of mouth marketing is really working for us now as well that that's big and you were you were very focused on the marketing and the branding right from the beginning from all that you had learned in your in your past experience yeah what was what was key to getting the word out there what have you found sort of had the best ROI for you in terms of the, your marketing efforts. Yeah, I mean, I think that the best marketing out there is what is the marketing that your customers will do for you. So, you know, we're celebrating our one year anniversary and in, to be honest, we spent most of the first year just maniacally focused on the customer experience because we're building this brand, you know, sort of from the bottom of the funnel up where at the bottom of the funnel, you have people that have bought for you. Right. Are they referring friends? Are right. they writing great reviews for you? Are right. they doing the marketing for you? Right. Because if you have that flywheel going, you know, you have a really solid foundation to the business. Then you can work on things to drive people into the funnel, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, so I would say for us to date the most effective form of marketing is our customers telling their friends and so how do you get customers to tell their friends what do you do to incentivize people yeah I mean we just try to give them soup to nuts like the best possible experience one of the benefits that we have is that when people buy a product from us they're often buying from a lot of different brands at the same time if Mm -hmm. they're furnishing a home and what they say in the reviews is my experience from Maiden Home was light years ahead of anything (laughs) else so much better than everything else have that comparison point and the, okay. like how dramatic our experience is whether it be the fact that you know every week your sofa is built we're giving you production updates you know where it is in the process complete transparency you know our show their sofas ship on time you get them in six weeks and when you get the product in your home you sit down on it right away you feel the quality 
you know? And that was always my goal that not only do, you know, we check the boxes along the way, but when the person gets a product in their home, do they feel like they got an incredible value? And now we've seen that that is the case. And so that kind of thing, that kind of gratification, you can't help but share. So you're overwhelming them with great service and a great product. And they're just so excited that they end up sharing it with friends and, and neighbors. Exactly. And designers have spread the word sort of amongst themselves or or have designers, sometimes I find designers are, want to keep secret sources. Do designers share you? Is or that right? Yeah. Are I they mean, keeping I guess, you secret? I, no, I mean, they've been, I mean, the designers that have adopted Good. us have been really generous okay. with sharing with their friends. Um, one of the things we do is actually profile designers in our community and their projects. So we actually go in and we'll shoot their projects and their homes. We'll feature them on our blog. And then that is content for our designer to sh- that designer to share on her own social channels and talk about made in home and oftentimes you know it's a brand that they're proud to be aligned with and have discovered and so um, it just kind of happens naturally you know we don't give any incentives to do it people yeah. just do it no that that's fantastic so who are you going head to head with who's who's your competition now yeah I mean going back to my personal experience buying furniture we just look at these big the big box stores right you know so the other um, major retailers offering these type of products at this price point that's in the consideration set for mm-hmm. our customer and so what our challenge is to make sure it's abundantly clear to the customer that you know when you buy a two thousand dollar sofa at retailer X you're getting a two thousand dollar sofa you right. buy two thousand dollars sofa made in home. You're actually getting a six thousand dollars sofa, and here's why and how. Right. Um, and it's not that simple or straightforward. And but we, our job and our challenge is to make it simple and obvious to the customer that this is truly the best value in furniture. Um, and so yeah, I mean it's it's really those same brands that you know I mentioned at the beginning. I was searching mm-hmm. from yeah. Um, and th- and that's who we see our our customers kind of comparing us to. But so your job then is to explain to them that really you're getting a sofa that is made overseas. It might be China. It might be Vietnam, what have you. Yes, exactly. You're not getting a performance fabric. You're getting 100% synthetic fabric. You know, there's no warranty on that product. I mean, we don't. We don't talk about our competitors' product. We talk about what right, we do. Right, sure, what we offer. But the, yes, yes, but the comparison is obvious. Mm-hmm. And the great thing to see is that our customer takes the time and does her due diligence and asks us a lot of questions. And we love customers that ask us questions. You know, one customer asked us, she sent us a list of 16 chemicals and asked us, are any of these chemicals present in your sofas? And we're happy to say no, you know, but that's yeah. the kind of customer that we're talking to. She's informed and she's diligent and, and she, she does the, her research to know she's getting the best. Right. Um, um, I love seeing that. So you were talking earlier and you were sort of alluding to other product categories that you could easily see yourself getting into. What what are some of the things that you're that you're thinking about sort of longer term for the for the business? Yeah, you know, we haven't, you know, the roadmap is sort of up in the air okay. and as it always is, but you know, we want to be really disciplined about product development because it is so tempting to just be in every category tomorrow. And you see brands do that all the time. I mean, we have designers literally banging down our door saying, do beds, do soft goods, right. do right. do everything. And there's a market there that we know we could serve. But again, like, you know, we don't want to do anything unless we really feel that we're offering the best value that mm-hmm. really there's disruption that can happen here you mm-hmm. know because we saw that in sofas we saw that in furniture and we did that but that's what we want to be known for as a brand you know so you know without calling out specifics like that is what we're looking for to say like that's a product that's being sourced inefficiently or purchased inefficiently or like right. the materials aren't exactly what we would want there's a pain point the customer can't find what she's looking for that's what we would go after um you know, rather than being in every brand, every category tomorrow. Yeah. 
So you mentioned earlier that you worked for McKinsey, for example. Was was part of what you were sort of learning at the at the time was sort of how to how to analyze these these business models and find the inefficiencies? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do as a consultant. You know nothing, and then you go in and you know do ten days of research, and suddenly you're the subject matter expert. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what your job is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So certainly that was me putting my McKinsey hat on at the beginning. Research reports, like understanding it without talking to people even at the very beginning, um, understanding the dynamics of the business so it certainly teaches you to get up to speed fast so putting your McKinsey hat back on when you look at the furniture industry in general where do you think is the best way for it to to go forward how is it going to be able to compete with all of these overseas manufacturers that have continued to erode its its business over the years yeah what's absolutely. your advice for them I mean I think that you know on the po- positive side I personally felt like when I first visited North Carolina and I went to the plants and I met the craftsmen and I mm-hmm. heard their stories I was surprised by how authentic and real it was and also how all of my friends back in New York would want to hear this message. You know, there is a larger movement going on about, um, you know, on the food side, farm to table, understanding where your products are made, how they're made, you know, American made is sort of having a resurgence. And so there's a lot of just general trends that Mm -hmm. are in their favor, you know? So what they're doing is relevant still for the modern consumer. So that's the good thing. Okay. I think the challenge is, is reaching and telling that story to the modern consumer, right? So problem with, you know, showing a product at high point is I, as the consumer, again, didn't even know that existed, mm-hmm. you know? So how can, um, and I think a lot of strides have been made in this area, how can these brands start to have a digital presence and engage consumers and designers across the country, um, tell the story of their craftsmanship and why it's better? than what you get overseas. Um, so, I mean, I think, that, honestly, I just look at it as a massive opportunity. You yeah. know, I don't think that there's it's, it's negative or any reason to be pessimistic. I think that everything that they're doing is so relevant for today. No, it, it seems a big opportunity. And yeah. it seems, as you say, that the craftsmanship and the heritage message is really resonating with, with people Absolutely. today. And, and, and buying American, as, as you say, is has really come back yes again right Uh and and so it is a wonderful story and you do a great job on the website of showing craftsmen and sort of telling the the story of the heritage and history and and maybe some of these big companies just need to sort of do more of of that and and as you say expand their their digital presence and their and their websites it's it's challenging with with who's coming to their websites and who's trying to reach them yes. and they're still going through dealers yes absolutely I think that layer is a little bit challenging you know but I think working with the dealers to say like what is the story that we're going to tell like show more of what's behind the scenes like yeah. there's incredible craftsmanship that goes into this brand that you see at a local furniture store but how can that be surfaced to the customer you know yes yes how can they how can they really tell their story yes. to, to people. People want to know yeah. how this stuff is made. No, it, it is compelling. So is that is that one of the main ways that you're able to separate yourself from some of these other online competitors in your in your space? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, we don't really consider them competition per se, but mm-hmm. there are other models like this online. Um, we're the only ones manufacturing domestically in North Carolina at this quality standard. So if you compare our sofas apples to apples, I mean, it's just not even in the same ball park, you know, in terms of yeah. the quality of the materials and construction and design 
that we have. Um, I think that we're talking to a different customer as well. Mm-hmm. I think our customer is more discerning in her taste, whether she's a designer or a consumer. Right. She wants um, elevated design, luxury materials, um, and we're the only ones right now offering that um, in this in this type of model. And are designers and and your consumers asking for a lot on the technology side? Do they want to be able to see? 3D renderings and and all of this sort of AR technology that's come into the space recently. Yes, so I mean a lot of designers actually offer that as mm-hmm. part of their service, mm-hmm. you know, too. So they actually take our existing photography and they build out amazing renders of their own, which they show to their clients. Okay. So that's been really great to see. Um, I I think on the consumer side, I just think maybe awareness is a little bit low still that that's even a possibility. So we don't okay. actively get the request, but we okay. are obviously trying. We're on the cutting edge of this industry, so we're something that we're actively looking looking at right. um, that I think that would surprise and delight our consumers well, that might not know it exists. <laughs> that's, that's great. So what's your biggest goal in the in the coming year? I would say that we are looking to scale exactly what we do, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the high quality product, the excellent customer experience to, you know, a larger scale, both in terms of our volume and into some of the new categories of the home. So by the end of the year, we're looking to expand, you know, beyond the living room into mm-hmm. other categories. So I'm really excited about that and doing it in a really thoughtful way. Right. Um, so executing on that incredibly well is one of our biggest goals for the year. Um, and then beyond that, you know, continuing to, to never, even as we scale, compromise the, the standard that we've set for customer experience and quality. So that's really critically important to you. Absolutely. Yeah. We're okay. nothing beyond without that. You know, right. we, that, that is the core of what we do. And we'll never lose sight of that is right. the, the quality of the customer experience. But it doesn't sound like you want to get huge. It doesn't sound like you have lofty growth goals. We definitely do. Okay. Yes, we certainly do. <laughs> okay. Have some aggressive targets okay. you for do. this year. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, we want to grow in a very sustainable way. Right. And so, you know, this isn't about, this is about being thoughtful about what we're spending on customer acquisition and smart about the highest return customer acquisition channels. Mm-hmm. So certainly there's a lot of work and analysis that goes into that. Yeah. Um, and so certainly, I mean, we have massive ambitions for Maiden Home and okay. there's a clear path to get there. Um, and so, you know, we're doing it in, in, I think, a smart and thoughtful way. Well, that that's fantastic. And where are your sales now roughly just so that i get sort of a sense and and where your goals are i mean in terms of pieces you don't have to tell me dollar volume if that's a if that's a challenge for you are you making 500 pieces a thousand pieces sort of where where are you now and where do you sort of hope to get i mean i think that it's not a number that we look like at a, on a daily basis in mm-hmm. terms of pieces but we're well past that 500 pieces shipped milestone that's great okay. um you know within the last year so you know certainly like we're growing north 15 20 percent month over month and so you know Fantastic. the business is probably going to double again very very soon so you know i mean it's it's sort of like high growth company are very early stages and we're kind of enjoying that phase but again our focus is on really really good execution right and you found a good logistics partner yes, yes. absolutely we have a few partners okay. in different parts of the country and so um we're really really ha- i mean that's sort of the army behind the scenes mm. that we really count on to deliver that good experience yeah so. furniture delivery is very challenging so it can be yeah we have some good partners you found some space. good partners okay yes, well absolutely. that is that is definitely key and i'm sure that that is keeping customers happy yes as it's well. such an important part of yes the, yes Get absolutely Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having this discussion. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. My, my guest this week has been Nidhi Kapoor, the founder and CEO of Maiden Home. Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. 
If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps to grow our audience. Thanks again to our sponsor and our producer. You can find us on editoratlarge.com or Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week. 